Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Stephen Furtick and Elevation Church are generating controversy because of the ticket prices for their upcoming tour. And Hillsong's Brian Houston was removed from the pulpit while he's waiting a court date, but that hasn't stopped him from taking the stage at other events. We'll have details. We begin today with the story of a massive financial fraud that targeted Christians. Yeah, Brad Heinrichs would quote scripture as he targeted Christian investors, telling them that his real estate deals were done to help build God's kingdom and help the little guy have the same opportunities as high rollers. But after taking in $82 million uh, between 2005 and 2014, his massive and complex Ponzi scheme finally blew up. Indicted in 2020, Heinrich pled guilty on October 6th to two of the seven counts against him. Yeah, a representative of the Arizona Superior Court in Maricopa County in Arizona told Ministry Watch that Heinrichs pled guilty to the two counts of attempted fraud schemes and artifices for defrauding clients to invest in his schemes. Now, if he's found guilty on all seven counts, he could have spent up to 70 years behind bars. Now, his sentencing on the two counts that he's pled guilty for will happen on November the 7th. How did this fraud work? Well, Heinrichs sold over-leveraged commercial real estate investments down in Arizona, promising some clients annual returns of as much as 25%. His victims say that Heinrichs claimed that his company wanted to give an opportunity to Christian families to invest, claiming that God was using Anthology, which was the name of his real estate company, to support missions and that they wanted to pass along the blessings to the little guy who normally wouldn't have an opportunity to invest like this. He found victims at church and through friends and relatives. Will the victims of this fraud get their money back? Well, perhaps some of it. Uh, Some of his 100-plus victims are part of a victim's recovery fund that seek to claw back, is the terminology, the savings, the investments, rather, that they made in these scams. Some invested as little as $100,000, which still sounds like a lot to me, but most of the investors were investing a lot more than that. Some of them, in fact, over a million dollars. Heinrich and his business partner, Stephen Hatch, uh, created an elaborate scheme of about 30 companies transferring investor money back and forth between the companies and using 17 different sets of financial accounts to keep track of and uh, prosecutors said obscure their workings. Uh, Heinrichs told investors that Hatch, too, was a devout Christian. Hatch, who's 72 years old, pled guilty in 2017 and was sentenced to five years in prison and ordered to pay $1 million in restitution. He was released from prison this last year. Yeah. Heinrich, through an attorney, claimed that he was innocent of the other charges. Now, I I did want to just add a couple of things here, uh, Natasha. I guess you could say um, I would like to opine about this case just a little bit and, and give our listeners a little bit of a heads up. Two things I want to mention. One is that you often see these kinds of Ponzi schemes 
unravel whenever we see a downturn in the market. Um, that you know, whenever the markets are growing, whenever real estate prices are going up, people will pour more money into these investment schemes, thinking that they are making money when in fact they may not be, but just don't know it yet. But you find out you're not making money whenever the markets go down. And um, then people start asking for their money or start asking for a stricter accounting. Warren Buffett, the billionaire, famously said that you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And we've reported here at Ministry Watch on a couple of these Ponzi schemes that have unraveled in the last uh, couple of months. So I would just like to advise all of our listeners that if they've got investments uh, in places that are not conventional, that are uh, perhaps offered some of these returns that looked good when the markets were going up. They might want to check on them uh, right now. And I would also say, too, that um, I've got an entire chapter uh, devoted to Ponzi schemes in my book, uh, Faith-Based Fraud. Don't mean for this to turn into a bit of shameless self-promotion, but I do recommend that you check out that chapter on Ponzi schemes in my book. It really gives you an idea of how Ponzi schemes develop and grow within the evangelical church. Our next story is the latest chapter in the gradual unraveling of the United Methodist Church. Yeah, a Dallas-area church with more than 6,500 members said that it would disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church and will remain independent uh, while it investigates alliances with other Methodist denominations. The senior pastor of the church is Arthur Jones, and the church is St. Andrew's United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas, just north of Dallas, along with Kathy King, the chair of the church's executive committee. They said in a post on the church's website that the founding pastor of the church, Robert Hasley, began to consider disaffiliation years ago and asked a group of lay leaders to monitor monitor the inevitable fragmenting of the United Methodist Church. Now, Hasley, who served at the church for 36 years, died uh, this summer back in July at age 70 of cancer. However, the church said that the lay leaders uh, were able to watch a video that he had recorded back in May before he passed away sharing his views and that as the church studied this, they became aware and became convinced that disaffiliation was necessary. The decision to disaffiliate was made by the church executive committee and was not put to a vote by the congregation. Yeah, the fact that it wasn't put to a full vote of the congregation has caused some controversy because there is a plan for splitting up the United Methodist Church, but that plan was uh, really designed for folks that were going to directly affiliate with one of the two remaining bodies, either the Methodist Church or the new conservative group. This church is not doing that. They are going to become independent for a while, and that's why they say that a full church vote was not necessary. Many conservative congregations nationwide have been uh, leaving the UMC in recent months or are in the process of leaving because they disagree with the denomination's stance on issues including same-sex marriage and the ordination of openly gay pastors. Yeah, that's right. In Texas alone, 500 United Methodist churches uh, have departed, including four of the top six by membership. Um, St. Andrews, I should say, is the seventh largest, so now we have five of the top seven by uh, membership have left the United Methodist Church in Texas. 
Our next story is from San Francisco. Yeah, the city has put on pause its annual Heart of the City Combined Charities campaign. It's a kind of a local campaign like the United Way, you might say, where people can uh, donate to the charities campaign and then they get distributed around to uh, other organizations. This particular campaign has been put on pause because of questions about where the money's going, especially whether some of the money is going to nonprofits that support uh, historically uh, traditional views, biblical views on human sexuality. Uh, The San Francisco Chronicle and the San Francisco Standard have both been reporting on this story lately. The city operates its own local version of the Combined Charities campaign. Yeah, that's right. It's similar to, as I mentioned, the United Way, or sometimes there are some, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, you might know about these federal government programs and other private companies are involved in these kind of um, cooperative giving plans as well. The Heart of the City program in San Francisco lists a resource guide that has hundreds of nonprofit organizations. And the Heart of the City campaign, which was scheduled to go all the way through December 2nd, was put on hold because some pro-LGBTQ activists are saying that that some of the groups that would be receiving money are anti-LGBTQ. I understand that among the hundreds of nonprofits, just a few Christian groups are causing all this fuss. Yeah, focus on the family, the Family Research Council, Alliance Defending Freedom, and the American Family Association are the ones that have been singled out by the pro-LGBTQ activists. A fifth organization, Samaritan's Purse, is led by Franklin Graham. Uh, The folks there don't have any concerns with Samaritan's Purse, but they do have concerns about Franklin Graham because uh, they say that Uh, His uh, rhetoric, his public rhetoric about LGBTQ issues uh, is is homophobic, according to them, and they've caused these pro-gay groups to balk. So what's the heart of this controversy? Are the opponents targeting all Christian groups or just the groups that have taken public statements on homosexuality? Yeah, I think it's just the ones that have made public statements on homosexuality. No one has raised any objections to many other Christian groups that appear in the Heart of the City Campaign's resource guide, including the American Bible Society, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, or now known as Cruz, Great Commission Foundation, CareNet, Christian Military Fellowship, Prison Fellowship, The Navigators. I'm just naming a few, Natasha, of a very long list of others. So is this going to hurt these ministries? Well, it's not at all clear to me uh, whether it will or it won't. I mean, San Francisco's combined charities campaign raises a little over a million dollars a year, between one and two million dollars a year. But as I said, the money gets split among hundreds of organizations. The ironic thing in this decision to hit pause on the program is that it is likely to hurt smaller local organizations that don't have any concerns about LGBTQ issues um, more than it'll hurt the large Christian organizations who will likely be able to use this news in their own fundraising appeals. So the gay activists who have created this controversy are allowing ideology to triumph over actually helping people locally. Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a controversial Birmingham church is back in the news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. 
Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, up next, the story we promised before the break, it's the story of the Church of the Highlands, which is building a retreat center to help restore morally fallen pastors. Yeah, Church of the Highlands is in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, although the public information on the Lodge Retreat Center, as they're calling it, has kind of gone down since they made a big public announcement back in September of 2021. Updated photos that have been shared with Ministry Watch show that construction is well underway on the Church of the Highlands Grant Mill campus for this Lodge Retreat Center. The Lodge was funded by the church's legacy donations, which is a special campaign that raised four and a half million dollars for the retreat center, where pastors, leaders, and their families will be, according to the pamphlet, mentored, counseled, refreshed, and restored. Well, this doesn't sound like a bad thing. So why is it creating controversy? Well, yeah, it's uh, causing um, controversy because it's the vision of the senior pastors, Chris Hodges and Dino Rizzo. Both were co-founders of the Association of Related Churches, of which the Highlands Church is sort of the uh, centerpiece, the flagstone of this um, um, flagship of this organization. And ARC churches have been in the news for the past few years for a whole string of controversies involving their pastors who have behaved badly in ways that disqualified them from ministry. So some critics of ARC are now saying that the reason they're building this center is to uh, kind of whitewash some of the problems that they're having there, that they will extend forgiveness and redemption to these fallen leaders, uh, but also might be harboring and enabling uh, the behavior to continue in the first place. So what does uh, Church of the Highlands say? Well, Ministry Watch did contact Church of the Highlands for comment, and Highlands replied to us and issued the following statement. I'm going to read it verbatim here. Church of the Highlands has a mission to help pastors and their families strengthen their marriage, ministry, and integrity. The lodge at Grant's Mill is designed as a personal environment for these families, providing a place for prayer. Uh, rest, fellowship, personal development, and training. The lodge will also be used as an event space and as accommodations for guest pastors visiting the church. And we have a related story about Dino Rizzo, one of the founders of ARC that we just mentioned. Yeah, a Mississippi U.S. District Court judge has dropped a federal lawsuit against uh, Rizzo, uh, the pastor of one of the pastors of Church of the Highlands, and several others that alleged that they failed to protect a church intern 
from sexual harassment. The suit named Dino Rizzo because he is, as we mentioned above, the co-founder of the Association of Related Churches, or ARC. The plaintiff in this particular case is a young lady named Laura Ashley Egan, and she claims that she was sexually harassed by Jason Delgado, who was another ARC pastor. Um, He was the pastor of a church called Vibrant Church in Columbus, Mississippi. The judge dropped the lawsuit, but he seemed to suggest that Laura Ashley Egan could be telling the truth. Yeah, that's right. Uh, The judge said that because Laura Ashley Egan wasn't getting paid for her internship, that she wasn't technically an employee, so employment law in this case didn't apply. Also, Rizzo effectively argued that ARC doesn't actually have any oversight of its member churches, so he wasn't responsible even if there was wrongdoing at the church. But in an unusual move, Judge Neil Biggers said that while Egan didn't meet the criteria for filing the lawsuit in his court, he wrote that some of her claims could be viable in in state court, and she should consider asserting those claims. Our next story involves another case that was dropped. Yeah, on Tuesday, October the 11th, that was last week, all charges against John Blanchard, who's the senior pastor of Rock Church International in Virginia Beach, Virginia, were dropped following a request made by prosecutors. Blanchard was arrested on charges of solicitation of prostitution of a minor in the fall of 2021 after being caught in a sting operation. Blanchard, in fact, was one of 17 men arrested back in October of 2021 in that sting, which was conducted by the Chesterfield County Police Spectral Victims Unit. In the operation, police posed as minors in online interactions with the suspects and then arranged to meet with them for sex. When the suspects arrived, they were greeted by police and arrested. Blanchard has stepped aside from ministry since that arrest. Will he be back in a pulpit? Well, it does appear that he will. Uh, In a statement from the church's interim pastor, uh, she, she said this, We have always believed in John's innocence. He has spent time in fasting and prayer and has invested much time in his family and education. We anticipate his resumption of church duties in the near future. But I should also say that, you you know, Blanchard was— while, he was, while the charges against Blanchard were dropped, law enforcement officials said that they could be reinstated if they were able to find more evidence. And Natasha, let me also add these last two stories that we've done have involved cases that were dropped. Now, of course, here at Ministry Watch, we report on a lot of these kinds of stories whenever there's a lawsuit filed or whether there are criminal charges placed against someone. We typically will report these stories. So we think it's only fair to report when the charges are dropped. So it's our policy that if we did report on the, uh, the story originally, in other words, if we originally reported that uh, either a lawsuit was filed or charges were brought against someone, then we will write a follow-up story when they are dropped. And usually, if they're not dropped, there's more to write about as well, and we will write on the either the plea bargains, the sentencing, so on and so forth. But I did, did want to just let our readers know that that is our policy here, that uh, if charges are brought, we try to follow those cases all the way through to their ultimate resolution. Well, Warren, let's take one more story before we take another break. 
Yeah, it's a story that comes out of Indiana. The Indiana High School Athletic Association has stripped Huntington University of uh, hosting the state semifinal track meet, uh, which uh, takes place this weekend in the wake of accusations of abuse in Huntington's track and cross-country programs. The university, which is affiliated with the Church of the Brethren, Church of the United Brethren in Christ, uh, put cross-country coach Lauren Johnson and assistant Curtis Hines on administrative leave a couple of weeks ago after two former runners at the Christian Liberal Arts College filed a federal lawsuit against the school and several of the coaches in September. The suit alleges criminal battery by former track coach Nick Johnson and negligence on the part of the university and other officials, including Lauren Johnson, who assumed her husband's coaching role after he left. Yeah, Nick Johnson was fired by Huntington back in 2020 following allegations that his teams were run in a cult-like manner that included sexual and physical abuse and pressure to submit to doping. That according to a report in the Indianapolis Star. The former athletes at the school are now coming forward. Yeah, they sure are. And not just a few. More than 200 current and former women athletes signed a petition addressed to University President Sherilyn Emberton and the Huntington Board of Trustees urging that the school ban Lauren Johnson, who still retains a post at the school, and Hines from campus and expressing their support for the two women who filed the lawsuit. I'm going to read a portion of their petition, Natasha. It says this. So let us say this very clearly, shepherds. There are wolves in the pen. We understand that the pending lawsuit will account for how the wolves got there in the first place and why they were permitted to stay. But right now, we call on you to do what shepherds do and remove the wolves. Pretty strong language. That is. Well, Warren, we have to take another break, but when we return, our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have more in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have for us? Well, first up, the former administrator of a Pennsylvania-based Episcopal nonprofit insurance corporation is under investigation for fraud after a forensic audit uncovered $1.4 million in discrepancies in the organization's books. 
the former Clergy Assurance Fund Executive Director and Treasurer John Miller is accused of writing fraudulent checks totaling $1.425 million to himself that were duplicates of death payment benefits that were designed for beneficiaries. This news, by the way, comes from the Episcopal News Service. The checks were written between January 2016 and March 2022. That's right. Over a six-year period, uh, Miller alleged, uh, allegedly forged the signature of the organization's vice president, James Pope. Uh, Pope is also the treasurer of the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania. Miller also allegedly used a church credit card for more than $20,000 worth of personal expenses. And you also have news of a controversy generated by Elevation Church's worship group named Elevation Worship. Yeah, that's right. They're going on a West Coast tour, which includes stops in San Diego, Las Vegas, Oakland, Sacramento, Seattle, Washington, and Los Angeles. Uh, called Elevation Nights, the tour will feature appearances um, not only of the Elevation Worship team, but also from the senior pastor, Stephen Furtick. What's controversial about that? There are probably a hundred Christian concerts or worship events going on in the country almost every night of the year. Well, that's right, and it's a good point, but not many of them charge a ticket price of over $1,000. No, they're not all $1,000, are they? Well, no, to be fair, they're not. Uh, You can get cheaper tickets, but if you want a front row seat to see Elevation Worship at the Kia Forum in Los Angeles on November 3rd, you should expect to pay $1,080 per ticket plus booking fees, which bring the total up to about $1,240, and that's for one seat. Parking is an additional $45 to $60 at the Kia Forum. Now, by the way, if you want to throw in babysitting and a dinner, At a decent L.A. restaurant, you're looking at close to $3,000 for a date night. That transitions nicely into our next story. Yeah, it does, uh, though some might detect a bit of irony in this juxtaposition uh, because next up I have news that Caitlin Beatty has a new book out. It's called Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Profits Are Hurting the Church. And I've done a lengthy question and answer with Caitlin on the Ministry Watch website, and I really commend it to you. It will help you understand how we got to the point that a pastor and his team can charge $1,000 for a worship event. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, real quickly, I just want to remind everybody that I will be hosting a lunch for Ministry Watch friends in Charlotte next week on October 27th, and I'll be in Newport Beach, California on November the 15th. If you live in either of those two cities, you should be getting an email from me. In fact, I hope you've already gotten a couple of emails from me with information about how you can attend that event. But if you haven't or you maybe have misplaced it, please send me an email, and I'll make sure that you get an invitation. All of these lunches are free. They're just our way of saying thank you for being a part of our work. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Phil Cook, Bobby Ross Jr., Dale Chamberlain, Jessica Ederalde, Ann Stike, and Steve Raby. Special thanks to churchleaders.com and the Christian Chronicle for providing material for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.